Well, well, hello, folks. Well, 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 well. Hello, we have here, and welcome to We the Peeps. This is the American Soccer Podcast, in which you are going to get to know everything that you need to know about the U.S. MNT. I am Clayton, and I'm an artist. I'm Ty. I'm an entrepreneur. And we love these gnats. Welcome on in, y'all. Hell yeah. It's We The Peeps. It's We The Peeps. Welcome to We The Peeps. Are you ready for We The Peeps? Holy moly, it's We The Peeps. Folks, the games was, I don't know, all of qualifying. Today, we have gathered here to just talk our shti. You know what I mean? Talk our stees a little bit. We've got old-time fans with us. Old-timey, you know what I mean? Uh, what's, the, what's the super old-timey movie star? Charlie Chaplin. We've got Charlie Chaplin-style fans who've been with us up to seven, six years even. And we've got new fans who are just realizing the World Cup is happening. Congratulations on realizing that. Welcome on in to your... Come on in. To, to the best choice. Your best choice resource no, the Chicago for Fire down. is not playing in the World Cup. I'm sorry to tell you. Unfortunately, didn't qualify as a nation. Uh, <laughs> not a nation. Chicagoland. Uh, so today we thought it would be nice to just... The roster's been announced. Check out our most recent episode if you want to hear us talk about that. We've got Wales on the way. Check out our next episode if you want a proper Wales preview uh, for the group stage today, we're just going to kind of take a step back. You only get uh, a World Cup to talk about every four years, and the chances that that World Cup also includes the team that you pod about are even lower than that. So this is a very special opportunity for us to just sit down, hang out as brothers, as listeners, as peeps, and just check in on some stuff. Just talk about... The World Cup at large, what this event is, what it means to us, talk about some storylines that we're looking forward to, and then do some reminiscing about how this monumental sporting event uh, has has affected our lives in the past. How's that all sound? Ty, you ready to dive into it? Gorgeous. Good. Good, good. Um, we're going to start at the most general. We're going to start at the most general. If you're... Just kind of tuning in, I think a lot of the common, popular, mainstream narrative around this World Cup event is conflicted because it is taking place in the nation of Qatar. Uh, and the reasons for that uh, just strike everyone as a little dubious. Uh, there, you know, at the time this decision was made, there was plenty of suspicion about. Um, were there backroom doors, deals being backroom doors, back door back room rooms, doors. Back door uh, room. were there rooms and doors, were there deals being made, was there bribery, how did this happen? And then in the wake of what the mainstream memories uh, last touch base with this sporting event, the World Cup, was Brazil. Uh, and it definitely 
cracked the mainstream consciousness that some human rights violations occurred for uh, the hosting of the Brazil World Cup. And, and that concern remains for the hosting of the Qatar World Cup. So I wanted to start this little general big picture treaties on the World Cup with a simple question for Ty. Um, as I often do, Ty, can you tell us, and, and I'm not trying to be a downer here, but before we get to the good stuff, we got to understand why is the World Cup a bad thing? The World Cup is a tremendous human accomplishment that involves a lot of energy and resources on all sides. And that has come strikingly during this World Cup in the form of, uh, of damage to the labor force who built the stadia that the World Cup will be held in. And numbers are official numbers are hard to come by, but investigations have indicated that something around 6,000 people have died in the you know 10 plus year construction project that is this uh this this world cup infrastructure qatar was chosen as a country that had zero stadia that could support a world cup um event it was chosen for all the wrong reasons just putting two and two together and it was a foolish and irresponsible thing to do because it led to these these um exploitative labor conditions being pressurized and resulting in uh incredible loss of life that's very tragic um you know even in normal times uh myself as someone who's kind of environmentally minded has a uh, hesitancy around any sort of any international sport um because of the amount of resources that are consumed in the creation of something that is ultimately superfluous but we will get to you know when talking about why the world cup's a good thing how it might not be that superfluous and how these things might be worth the um you know worth worth us pursuing and sacrificing other things in order to accomplish because they're very special but the yes clearly the the use of resources and the loss of human life make this world cup especially challenging morally yeah. uh to justify and you know i'm not fully there yet i'm sure lots of people out there aren't there and it's something i'm going to be wrestling with as i watch and expect to enjoy this tournament um knowing knowing more about how the sausage is made yep yeah and if we didn't make it clear enough at the outset we love the world cup we do this podcast because the world cup exists right and it, we love it Basically. so much yeah but it's, it's so the best it, to thing me it's ever it's the best thing ever but to me it's so important that we start this conversation with acknowledging why it's a bad thing so ty you mentioned the human rights uh violations the actual literal human deaths you know, leading to this, the potential environmental factors. I want to throw in a couple others. Uh, the ingrained uh, patriarchy that exists in professional and organized sports, uh, that the World Cup seems year over year uh, to re uh, reify uh, or sort of um, uh, enforce, reinforce 
gender norms uh, in that we celebrate hugely the dudes one and uh, then also remember to enjoy as well the ladies version. Uh, and typically, historically, the Women's World Cup has been secondary. And yes, we see a lot of change in that. We see a lot of motion in that. But I think when thinking about the World Cup as an event, we need to acknowledge and understand that there are many humans, in fact, most human beings, uh, will feel ostracized by this aspect of this event, that it glorifies being a dude uh, in many ways, at least in its current form. And if you, mm -hmm. you can contrast that to, for clarity of what I'm saying with the Olympics, where we have men and women competing on equal footing for gold medals that are equally ranked, uh, you know, towards a nation's success. We have co-ed sports. We have very many different sports. You know, everyone's celebrated for in, in all different ways. Um, and at the World Cup, especially the one that we're talking about, which is the FIFA Men's World Cup, um, we are talking about a, a, a patriarchal situation, um, which I don't love. I do not love that about the World Cup. And lastly, it's, uh, I think, the overarching bad thing about the World Cup, which um, kind of relates to all of these, is that it is run by a corrupt organization called FIFA. And by all accounts, by all that we can tell, there's a lot of shady shit going on and a lot of power uh, being held by this orga organization. And the, the power that FIFA has comes almost entirely from the fact that we are obsessed with this men's dudes tournament uh, that we want to watch every four years so badly. And because of that, FIFA is able to, um, has been able to accumulate a significant amount of power, real power in the real world that leads to uh, deaths and things like that when not handled correctly. Ty, anything else to add on why the World Cup is a bad thing? Um, I think we we hit the highlights. Um, you <laughs> know, I think, of a I think it's is also... Is this getting y'all hype out there? <laughs> <laughs> it is important to remember that while this is, you know, a collective human experience, we are seeing, what, 15% of the population of Earth represented in this tournament, something like that. So there is a limit to the the universality of it that that we should remember and that, you know, it's still very much biased towards countries that have wealth and status. Um, so while it's called the World Cup, it, it often doesn't necessarily represent the world. Yeah, um, that. Yeah. But, and that, you know, that, br <laughs> that does bring me to one more, which is that um, the, the idea of putting on an, our nation's colors and everyone putting on uniforms and competing as nations is, is strikes many as uh, tribal, especially new fans to the sport, that there's something uh, not cool about about this uh, aspect of it, that we're kind of saying our country is better than your country in this way. And, and, and I have thoughts and opinions on that, but I think that phrased in that way uh, can go on under the category of why many feel the World Cup uh, it maybe is is not as good of a thing as as ever as as we do as the diehard fans do. Yes, but like with any great phenomenon, great art, those um, those problems compared with with benefits, they compared with you know there's there's complexity to all of these things. And um, the 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 value of it is almost clearer by acknowledging all of these problems because you'd listen to that list of problems and think, oh God, why why are we even doing this? And it's because the value of it is so immense for 
humanity beyond just uh, means of entertainment. Let's talk about that value. Why is the World Cup a good thing? So yes, acknowledging all those bad things are, are true, right? We see those. And yet, Ty and I, I think, in the bottom of our hearts, genuinely believe that this is a good thing for humans. Ty, why is that? International sport developed in the wake of the two world wars. The first formal World Cup was in 1930. The two Olympics prior to 1930 also featured a soccer tournament that was well, um, well viewed and that was the basis for the creation of the World Cup. And the presence of the World Cup and the Olympics and other international sporting events, to me, is not a symptom of the increase in peace within the world since the Second World War. It is a cause of the peace. When different people come together in competition, it causes communication and community between countries that would otherwise have nothing to do with each other. And the result is that people are more aware of the rest of the world. They're more aware of other cultures. They respect other cultures more, and it has created a more peaceful, prosperous, and thriving world. Agreed. You know, one of the things that turns people off uh, with sports in general is, is sort of like jockey toxic masculinity to try to win a thing. And when you look at a sporting event, especially one where folks are donning the flag of their nation, and you see jockey toxic masculinity to try to win a thing, uh, it can be easy to wonder, is this the problem or the solution? Uh, and I totally get that. I spoke to a neighbor friend of mine, shout out, shout out Alma, what up, uh, finger trap for life, who, who is a law PhD, um, wisely took her law degree to not be a lawyer, but remain in academia, fantastic. <laughs> uh, and her response to this concern was the moment two teams step on a soccer field, they have already agreed to a peace treaty because everyone on that field has agreed to play by the same rules, uh, the rules we know. Um, we, are, we are all trying to figure out the offsides rule together and the handball rule. Everyone has agreed to not, uh, the, the, the fans have agreed to, to cheer from the stands in most cases um, with you know some mischief notwithstanding. And, and so although we're looking at something that may seem violent and, and tribal at first blush, uh, what we're actually looking at is a well, in my opinion, a well choreographed dance of, of love and peace, uh, where we are saying within very specific boundaries, within very specific rules that we all agree on, yes, we are going to compete and see who's quote unquote the fittest. And we're going to come out with one winner above them all and everyone else is a loser. But in reality... What we're looking at is um, a deeply inclusive event that allows uh, folks to be celebrated for their differences um, and and uh, collaborative, you know, and within their within their nations to try to to try to do win something together. Um, and we've all already agreed on on the piece when just by stepping on the field. Yeah, and you only have to look so far as the times when that norm is violated to see how much what you just said is true. Um, I think of the Luis Suarez handball incident or the time that the French dude d 
demolished the German goalkeeper. I forget the names involved in that. Um, the the times when um, the you know mutual cooperation is broken are the times when people really get upset. But when you're leaving an international soccer match, most often what you will see are people talking, people arm in arm, people exchanging, you know, um, friendship and, uh, you know, drinking with each other and talking with each other and learning about each other's cultures. And you'll see that ahead of the game, you'll see that after the game, and you'll see it spill into the town where the game is and into the, you know, into the subway or wherever it is. And we see this time and time again. And I think it's, it's, you know, no, no clearer than at a world cup where you have so many different countries represented in one location. And that's part of what makes it so special is that even if your country beats me, I'm not going to be upset at you. And even if my country beats you, I'm not upset with you. But in fact, it's an occasion for friendship and peace and camaraderie. Uh, as long as we both 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 nations are abiding by those shared values and shared rules of cooperation. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a Dungeons and Dragons game where we we tell a narrative. So this is the this is another thing that I I love that that to me makes makes the World Cup a good thing, and it's that there is it, it's the reason why sports are fun to watch. It's just these human narratives watching human beings experience what is surely the most important moment of their life in almost oh, all cases yes yes uh on in in a you know on tv so to speak on the internet um having the stakes be so high the human drama really escalates uh and the stories every single world cup there there are stories there are moments where you see the best of humanity, where you see folks uh, raise their game, where you see folks show up for each other, where you see folks kind of do the right thing in the sense of uh, team play and and um, being the best versions of themselves to, to try to pull out a win uh, if possible. And then you also see, you know, the worst of humanity, but in a way that is is uh, safely set within and you boundaries. You see the French and, team argue themselves into oblivion. <laughs> <laughs> and you see the flaws of humanity. <laughs> but it's just, I, I guess my, my, my point here is just to point out the obvious, which is that this is a damn good sporting event. And uh, we love sports. And of all the sports, this is the best one. This is the best event. And uh, sure, we can debate that. We can argue that. But let's just go with the numbers of this is the most popular one. It's the peak. It's the pinnacle. If you like sports, the World Cup is a good thing. Well, and what part of what makes it so, there's two things that make it so special. It's rare it's every four years, like the Olympics, but unlike the Olympics, it's one sport. You know, it's, 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 it's concentrated and it is just so um, impactful because of that, that, that it feels that every minute of World Cup uh, action truly matters to the, to the final outcome and how things play out. Um, it is it's a it, the the length of it the month is just great it's it's like long enough that people can kind of grow into it and become aware of it and sort of um grow into being a fan uh but it is short enough that it it feels like you want more as soon as it's done um i think the the size the current size the 32 teams is perfect i'm i'm worried about this 48 team business that's coming up um 
in the next World Cup. But I'm going to enjoy this. I think the eight groups of four is perfect. The group system is perfect. The knockouts are fantastic. It's just like it's just <laughs> refined down to the point where it's like it's just so excellent. It's such a good tournament. Ty, one of the ways we, we you know, one of the reasons I think, I'm not sure if we actually sold the case that the World Cup is a good thing. I think it's a good thing. But um, acknowledging the nuance here, right? We at this show, we, we love this thing. We love this thing. And we are aware that it's, it's uh, flawed, critically flawed. Um, and so that's something we'll have to navigate. But every year, like you mentioned, the world realizes that this is happening. And in many countries, the world is well aware. But in America, the world is not. We are or, you know, in America, America's not. Um, we are a nation that takes a while to warm up to this this tournament every single time. Maybe in the future that'll be different, but for now that's the way it is. And as such, the World Cup uh, changes, it feels like it changes the world every time it happens. Uh, and and f- Ty, I wanted to kind of pick your brains on on why you think that is you know what what is it about the world cup that leaves the world feeling just a little different after it's done for me it always feels that i have more to say to my fellow human beings from wherever they're from and you know especially living in new york city interacting with all sorts of people. Like just the other day, I had a a 20 minute conversation with a uh, Lyft driver from Senegal about the Senegalese team and and his, you know, his frustrations with the team and all this stuff. And it has, you know, being a soccer fan in general, but particularly these World Cups, leaves me with such a stronger like vocabulary and sense and understanding of other people and their cultures and where they're coming from that I feel like a better person for being a soccer fan, you know? And um, I think that is really special, especially in a country like the US where we're trying to create this pluralistic society where we're integrating lots of different people to have at least some initial, you know, connection or ability to understand or see the culture of a country through their team and their style or to understand more about the history of that country because you know in what other context is is uh i don't know argentina going to interact with um with the netherlands you know it's like there's no other reason for these two countries to actually uh interact yet through soccer we end up with these these epic moments that that connect people and give them a shared language to to build connection and uh, make the world a better place. Yeah, I would agree, uh, and I would turn that inward. So, you know, for me, the world has often felt different because of my own identity. I feel more American often after this tournament, and I feel more Japanese. I'm a half Japanese, half American person, or uh, you know what I mean? Um, Hapa style, and yeah, when, I mean. the, when 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 I get in there with every, every four years, uh, because Japan, unlike us, actually qualifies uh, most of the time. <laughs> Pretty much all every the time. four yep. years, I feel more Japanese than I did before, and I think that that is important in an in in a world where we are globalizing, we are uh, quickly becoming a single. Society, I think one of the things that scares folks the most is, uh, am I going to lose the identity of, of, you know, are we going to lose what it means to be American? Are we going to lose what it means to be British? 
Um, and for me, the, the this tournament is a is a solution to that concern. Yeah. That yep. that we can we can become get that feeling more uh, in this incredibly um, nonviolent method. And it evolves as well because think the think of someone like Eusebio who come came from Mozambique starred for Portugal in the 1960s in the World Cup and he changed all Portuguese people's perception of what a Portuguese person is and looks like um, and that transformation is meaningful is incredibly meaningful to society as a whole the way that countries are represented sends a signal to that country of what the country is all about you know so I think it's that's that's particularly uh, beautiful. And when I think of the U.S. team, that's one thing I'm incredibly proud of. Um, you know, with with certain exceptions, I feel like we have uh, a lot of our bases covered, you know, in terms of what this country looks like, what this country sounds like, the different accents, the different languages that are represented, people from completely different backgrounds, different, um, you know, communities all over the world coming together to, towards a common object and being truly, truly American. You know, and seeing this this young English team, for example, being truly, truly English, yet uh, representing more than just the traditional English background that you would stereotypically consider. Yeah. Yeah. And then one last thing I'll add is that it brings me closer to the people right next door. Um, I think this is especially true in New York City. I, I, you know, I remember as a kid, like feeling closer with my block after this tournament because you just end up it's on at the pizza place it's on you know at everyone's house um there's watch parties eventually uh, people realize it's happening but it's on in public and um i think that uh, that experience might be different in the suburbs so i'm sorry if this doesn't apply to you but i think that after this tournament you might feel closer uh, not just to people in italy uh, sorry sorry italy not you uh not just yeah, not, not just, just the people be... in argentina and uruguay but uh to folks right next door yeah, and I think while you're right, there are places in the country where that's not going to be the case necessarily, um, it happens online. And that nowadays on social media, one can find a community and that can be just as impactful. You know, And I, I feel like when you see how people come together around sport, it is it it proves that that um, sports are here to build connection and we almost can't help it sports are something where the town comes together and today in the modern era the town is bigger and it's more dispersed and it's more digital but that same principle still continues and you know you're you're right it's not just making connections with people who are um, who are different from you? It's uh, it's it's building a group um, here at home as well. And there there are many many there are many friendships in my life that have been bolstered or even created by interacting around sports and particularly World Cups. And when I think of the World Cup, I think of family because I've I've watched everything I've watched. I've watched uh, by your side and yeah, yeah. and with our father and with the rest of our family as well. And it's um, it's just embedded. It's embedded in why I care about this so much and why it matters to me so much that when I think of, you know, World Cup victory, I think of you all. And there's something 
there's there's few other things in life that are like that. Yes. Uh, well said. When I think of World Cup victory, I think of you and you look old. And then I realize you're just wearing an old suit and it's 2022 and we did it. We won. We okay. fucking did it. Uh, <laughs> all right, let's get into it. Guys. Let's talk about enough about the World Cup in general. All right. Although we are going to do some memories at the end of this just for the true peeps. Let's talk about this World Cup. This one, the one in Qatar, the one happening this winter. Um, Ty and I checked in about what we think are the biggest headlines. You can slice and dice this one a million different ways. You you go out there and you create your own reality. You do that. You do that. And you get an audience doing that. But what I think, what we're seeing uh, as some of the bigger headlines, the top line for this World Cup, y'all, is this is going to be weird. Expect this to be a weird World Cup. Why? Because it's in the winter because of COVID and Qatar. Uh, it's happening in the middle of the European season. Uh, so players have been playing up until 30 minutes before the start of this World Cup. Not normal. Uh, because the state of the game, international game, is not what it typically is. We don't have clear powerhouses uh, necessarily in the same way that we often do. And we don't have as many. We don't have a clear best or best two in the world who are competing here. Um, we expect this to be a weird World Cup. That's right. And yeah, the, the factors that you said are all going to play into that. I think, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of firsts. It's the first World Cup in the Middle East. It's the first World Cup in, uh, in the winter. And um, it's played under this shadow of controversy around the labor practices. So you're not going to see, you know, also uh, in the Arab world, uh, public drinking is not really uh, a thing. So there's going to be much more restriction on what the fan experience is going to look like. And I think they're going to have way, way fewer fans than came to a World Cup like Brazil or Germany or South Africa, where these are countries that people are actively you know, often trying to visit anyway. You know, no offense, Qatar. I know people <laughs> go to Qatar for, for vacation, but it's not on the level of of um, those other countries, so there's um, there's just lots of odd dynamics here, and it'll be very interesting to see how the how the tournament resonates, like and if it can reach the heights of classic World Cups in the past in the culture because of um, all of these factors. But uh, what I will say is that weird is good for underdogs. And the World Cup that comes to mind that's kind of somewhat parallels this is the the World Cup that was in 2002 in South Korea and Japan, which was the first one that was split between two countries. And it was also played early because of the rainy season in Asia. They wanted to get the tournament done earlier in the summer. So it started significantly earlier than most World Cups, which meant that the top players, Champions League players were uh, were tired and burned out at the end of the season and didn't have as much time to recover prior to the World Cup. And the result of that was that you had Croatia into the semifinals, you had South Korea into the semifinals, the U.S. made it to the quarterfinals. So you had all of these kind of anomalous um, uh, stories and underdog uh, underdog successes that, that were unprecedented and still are somewhat uh, unprecedented. So I am very excited about that as a U.S. fan because I could envision, you know, particularly some of our um, our 
I don't know, maybe our MLS guys. I don't know. It, it, it could it could just benefit us for things to be a little bit shaken up and for the 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 existing power structure to be threatened because uh, we are on the outside. And so anything that can um, can crack the orthodoxy is is likely good for us. Yes, we hopefully have the perfect combination of players at big clubs, but not playing that much. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, sorry, exactly. Real question. Yeah. So mid-season yeah. World Cup, mid-season World Cup, what that means is players are not, at, they're, they're not burnt out at the end. They have not had a perfect rest to kind of arc their entire diet and fitness to, to peak at the right time. Something in the middle. Uh, I, and I can't decide if... This is going to make our top level talent better or worse. Will they be firing on all cylinders because they are mid-season with Arsenal? Or will there be a ton of like end of group stage injuries because they're mid-season with Arsenal? Yeah, I can't say for sure. The conventional wisdom is that um, mid-season is good. So... Uh, coming off of out of the club season and into this, that they, those players should be in peak form. That you know they were going to be playing um, two games a week over this period, and they're going to be playing two games a week, and so it's fine. Uh, whereas the summer World Cups, the you see the best players often quite um, quite worn out. Like I, I remember Messi in the Brazil World Cup, oh, just brutal. having no no nothing left, still being excellent, but just having nothing left, and and wishing that we were seeing him in in better form. Um, it's crazy so, with Messi. You just look sadder and sadder, but those underlying numbers stay the same. Yes, it's incredible. <laughs> they don't sleep. Exactly. He so yeah. We'll we'll see. I can see it playing out that way, but I can also see it being what you said, where it's like a little bit too much uh, intensity for this period of the season, and you do see a, a big swath of injuries. Um, but I do. I think it's likely not going to be a huge factor. We'll see. Uh, maybe it'll be specific teams that kind of gain or lose based on that. Um, but I think the bigger factor is going to be what you mentioned with the, the like no clear favorite, you know, big clubs are weak, uh, effect, which I don't, I don't, what do you think is the root cause of that? And maybe explain that a little bit more. Like what, what are we talking about? All right. Yeah. Let's get into that. So, what I'm referring to is uh, there's usually someone coming in to the World Cup who it seems like it's theirs to lose. Um, Germany has has often been that player. Uh, France, France yeah. has been that player at times. We, we remember Spain, various Brazil teams. Spain it doesn't team, always yes, happen. Yes. It doesn't always work out the way we expect it to. But typically there's someone walk striding into the tournament and we're all wondering if their supremacy will be proved right or wrong. And this time, it just doesn't feel like that's the case. I'll give a couple examples. Uh, we have a, a sort of confusing and young Spain national team that is still ranked very highly in the FIFA rankings. Uh, we have an England team that seems very strong, but you never know because it's England. We have Argentina and Portugal with aging stars, Leo Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, who else? Uh, Germany is just not quite the Germany that that we tend to expect. Yeah, they don't. They just don't have the firepower that they usually do. This, the the succession planning never didn't yeah. quite stick after that classic generation with Michael Ballack, etc. Uh, we're we're now down to 
what's his face? Timo Werner didn't work out, and the other one at Chelsea is just okay. Uh, so yeah. just a weird, a weird Germany. Um, yeah, yeah. And so um, still, you know, Brazil number one, sure, uh, they're, they can be considered a favorite, but yeah, just, it just doesn't feel like there's someone imperial. And I don't know why that is. I have no idea why that is, Ty. I have no idea. Well, it's, it's early to say because this is a decades-long trend, but I think the longer the world game goes on and the more connected the world is, the more you will have even distribution of talent because the previously the ideas of Western Europe were different from the ideas of South America or, or Asia or uh, North America. And so training was different. Youth development was different. Coaching was different. And those things weren't as fluid and they weren't passed as easily. But now anyone in the world can watch Pep Guardiola the top players in the world go to the top teams, wherever the teams are, wherever the players are. So we have a much more interconnected world. Therefore, the advantages of the haves are being decreased and the disadvantages of the have-nots are going away. And so I think over the long term, you will see fewer powerhouses because that power that they would have been able to consolidate is now more easily replicable by... Uh, by by teams on the outside who can, you know, maybe they don't have the same talent, but they can catch up much more quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder if there's a rubber banding happening as well. I mean, there was, there's all these YouTube videos about how many English national team players, like what the English national team would look like if all the Jamaican players just played for Jamaica. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. And that, and those and, hypotheticals and, and I, are interesting. They're so, fraught, but they're interesting. And, fraught but interesting. But my point is this, that I wonder if there was a period of time, 90s and early 2000s, where there was enough globalism that all of the great players went to a handful of teams and that we are now living through the era of the the reaction to that, where players realize that they have a couple options of teams that they can play at. And if that is the case, we're looking at more of a club system, kind of ecosystem, uh, economics of talent, where if every player, hypothetically, could choose between three teams, then you you would assume that all teams are closer in skill, right? Because as one team fills up, better players can choose to yes, yes, for, yes, for a yes, place yes, where yes. They'll, they'll have well, more advantages. Good point. Good point. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I think the U.S. clearly benefits from that because we have players who would otherwise maybe be languishing with other national teams who come to play for us and are great. So, you know, clearly that helps. And it, and the, that kind of stuff, it, it happened back in the day, but it just didn't happen as much because the the knowledge wasn't there and the scouting networks weren't there and people didn't, you know, didn't, didn't go that far. So um, I think that definitely plays a role too. Um, so I think it's going to be super cool to see a, a tournament where you're, we're just open-minded as a, I think as a world, we're coming to this a little bit more beginner's mind than typical and saying, all right, who's going to show us something? Who's, who's going to, who's going to come out on top here? And, and it feels like a little bit of a crapshoot. Another thing that is a little different this time around than, um, than has been the case, I think, for most of our listeners, uh, if you're not, you know, if you're uh, not like super old and shit, 
Uh, you'll be used to watching World Cups where there's a clear best player in the world or best duo in the world, and we want to see how they do at the tournament, and that has been Cristiano Ronaldo and Messi for quite a long time. And this is our first World Cup in a while uh, where we don't have one of those. So Erling Holland on the rise, clear best, clearly, uh, you know, next up uh, is not with us. And then we've got a, a, you know, an aging Ronaldo and Messi who can't quite be claimed as either in, really in contention for best in the world, but somewhere up there. And then we've got Neymar and Kylian Mbappe, who both at one time seemed clearly to be the next best thing, uh, but neither has really taken a, a, a hold on, on best in the world. Um, so a that's a little different this time around, Ty. What do you have to say about some of the 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 headline names uh, that folks will be watching. Yeah, and I I think that type of like duopoly or clear best player is rarer than people think. You know, it's kind of like in the in golf, we got used to the idea that Tiger was the best in the world. And then in the post-Tiger era, nobody has really emerged as being that person. And it feels kind of odd, but that's actually more the normal state of affairs. You know, we just get used to some of these guys. So the fact that that uh, Messi and uh, Ronaldo have been duking it out for the last 10, 15 years uh, in such a clear, so so clearly he head and shoulders above the rest of the pack uh, was unusual. And it was enjoyable for that reason. Um, but now it's it's much more, much more unclear. Um, I think... I, I think Holland is the best in the world. If I'm picking a team today, he's the first person I'm picking. So I, I don't think I think that that makes it especially complex because if if you know uh, Mbappe leads France to the World Cup or something like that, you still have that what if that uh, we didn't get to see Holland in this tournament and see if if uh, if he could have done something and um, you know let alone if you put him on France. I mean, good God, that would be terrifying. So. Um, you know, it's it, it does kind of suck, but it will be intriguing. Uh, the one thing that I think can get truly resolved is, you know, if Messi were to win the World Cup, that that it's it's lights out for any sort of debate about that. <laughs> yeah, it's finally so, over. <laughs> it's finally over. There's there's no good counter argument. So I think that that would be really beautiful to see. I mean, I, I love Messi. I root for him. And, uh, you know, whenever whenever he's not kicking the U.S.'s ass. Um, so I, I, I would, I would be uh, overjoyed if that was the case. And, uh, it would, I think be great for that, uh, debate to be over because it's tiresome <laughs> and, it and he is already the best ever and should be acknowledged that way. <laughs> um, there's no way a I, human being has ever been better at soccer than that dude. Sorry. I, I know, dude, I'm with I've you. I've seen him. I'm I've seen him play <laughs> twice. It's, it's, it's so clear. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Uh, it's clear, and he also does things that aren't clear. It's clear from the things that are clear, and there's all these unclear yes, things exactly. he's also doing. All right, all right, enough. Uh, shouts to Lewandowski, who's also up there and is in this tournament. And always we'll... fifth. <laughs> always fifth. Forever, forever, bridesmaid. Forever fifth. Bride. Yes, Lewandowski. Okay, um, a few other storylines that that I I. I'm going to enjoy watching. One is our, our young Spain uh, coming up with, with uh, led young by Spain is cool. Gavi, Pedri. Gavi, dog. You know what I'm saying? Uh, what's his face? What's the other one? Gavi, Pedri. Aretha Bayal. 
Uh, Ansu Fati is on that. Ansu Fati, yes. Made the squad, right? So these are all some of my faves, uh, favorite young players on that team. Excited to see how Sergio Busquets can can make that work. Um, I am excited about uh, Brazil, and I'll say it because I know Ty won't. Um, Neymar fans out there, this is this is a pretty good situation (laughs) for Neymar right now. He's gonna be 34 the next time he has an opportunity. And he is playing well uh, at the at the moment. His fitness has been good for a pretty extended period of time, and he is surrounded by some exciting stars coming up. Guys by the name of Gabriel Martinelli. We have Vinicius Jr. We have Anthony, who I think has flown way under the radar for great young prospects in the world up until this G- year. Greatest Manchester SoundCloud United. rapper slash. He is the greatest. He definitely is the, he's the, he's the most YouTube <laughs> compilations per minute played uh, at, for a 22-year-old in the world, for sure. Uh, we've got Rodrigo, who I didn't realize this, is 21 years old. Uh Holy what? shit. Wait, he's Rodrigo. 21 years old? Real Madrid's Rodrigo like is 21 years okay. old. And then okay. Richarlison, who's not a young player, but is finally happening at 25. Uh, so, And G- Gabriel Jesus as well. So exciting Brazil squad. Will be enjoyable to watch that. Uh, where you know, if if you're if you're want this team to to go far, you're you're really hoping that um uh, that that their defense holds up, but uh, and that Thiago Silva can keep keep those keep that groin, you know, doing its thing. Uh, keep those hammies loose, uh, because otherwise it could be an issue. But uh, gonna be someone exciting. rub Thiago's groin. <laughs> Just do it. Oh, <laughs> do someone's it. already doing it. All right. Uh, sorry. <laughs> well, <laughs> sorry. Uh, Ty, uh, Ty, you mentioned um, before this run up some some interest in how England's gonna do. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed watching this England team at the Euros. I think, like I said, I think they they represent uh, this this you know new version of the country as a whole that I think is really cool, and I think they represent the country um, very aptly, and uh, and they make the country proud, which is cool to see. And England has kind of gotten used to the to disappointment to such a degree that I didn't even feel like the sentiment following their loss in the, the Euro final was, was that negative. Like I didn't feel like the team got torn down, of course, except for some of the black players who missed penalties on social media, which is just, you know, horrific, but expected. Um, yeah. It takes every penalty he can take for England forever. Gold star. I hope so. I hope so. So, so they they're they're young they're exciting fast skillful very different type of england team than we've seen in the past but what i like a lot about them is that they they feel starless you know they have certainly standout players um players who are playing at the top level consistently but they don't have a a, an ego uh driven lineup at the same way that they used to which is you know epitomized by harry kane who's is one of the best strikers in the world still and is uh, by all indications actually a decent human being who <laughs> cares about others and uh, and and that's that's pretty rare in a top striker so um, yeah they're they're easy to root for they're they um, and I, I hope they do well and they capitalize on the strength of this uh, this this new generation um, I also want to shout out uh, Denmark who had the best World Cup qualifying Denmark campaign of awesome. any country. Yeah, Denmark um, is awesome. I believe they were 12 for 12 or something. Um, uh, 12 wins out of 12. So that that's quite amazing. And um, 
you know, Denmark, not a traditional powerhouse, but uh, a, a country with a great soccer tradition that has put together a pretty solid team. Again, not a lot of egos, not a lot of big, big stars. Um, they've got uh, Christian Eriksen on the squad, which would be a really incredible story if he if he's able to come back after his uh, collapse on the field during the Euros um, and be a part of the World Cup. And I, yeah, again, I, I, I love the, the way that they play. I love their organization. I love their, um, their tactical ideas and the, the way they fight for, for each other. Uh, it's beautiful to watch. And, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm pumped to see them. Uh, I, I agree that, that Brazil looks like the strongest, but I think they are critically flawed by the fact that Neymar is supposed to be the leader. And I don't think by Neymar guy. himself. Yes. I think he's the, da- he's the reason they will not win the World Cup. I I I think as a betting man, I'm I'm gonna go with you're correct. Uh, <laughs> I, don't know. I thought but I was gonna I, get a but, good bet here. Uh, but I so. like I, I I like Neymar, so I'm hoping for something different. Going back to Denmark, Denmark, super quick. Um, Mikkel Damsgaard, if you've not if you're not familiar with, uh, hailing all the way from Brentford uh, in England, is a fucking awesome player. He's just an awesome dude. He's kind of balding and he plays really, he just plays clean and young and he's fucking amazing. And then there's one other dude I'm looking for him. Who was it? Uh, oh, uh, Simon Kjaer, K-J-A-E-R, uh, who is uh, 33. I don't think that's the person I was looking for. Tell him about Simon Kjaer while I look this guy up. I got I got nothing on Simon Kiar. Sorry, he's a dude. I know he's, he's a I know he's a guy. He's a dude. Yeah. Ah oh, shit. All right. Sorry I can't find the other one. But there's a couple. There's a couple. There's, I know there's a couple winners on Denmark, and I strongly endorse. Last uh, team worth watching that I'll mention here uh, in our little sweeping preview, and I don't mean to be conca biased, but I really think the world is sleeping. Ooh. Canada. On Canada right now, and I would say the states as well, but I want to highlight Canada. Land. People do not, the world does not realize how good Canada is right now. Y'all and ain't ready for even, Fonzie to drop. Even just, even just roster personnel, Canada is better than anyone realizes, and they're playing greater than the sum of their parts. They're they're a team that we all know from qualifying is playing as a team with an identity, and they just seem to have the narrative behind them uh, everywhere they go. I think Canada is going to be a fun watch. Tough group, but uh, but I really hope that they heard they them come in magic. Good. We'll see. Right. Um, one one more shout out for me is uh, I I don't know if the Iran team is on this wavelength, but they have the chance to um, to to do a little activism and and. Use use their voice to promote the values of a free Iranian society, and I hope that they do. And um, in maybe they'll have to do that in very subtle ways because of potential consequences at home. Um, but you know, World Cups and international sports in general can be wonderful vehicles and platforms for protest and to uh, to to promote a better world. And I I hope that they take advantage of that and uh, support the cause of the protesters who are trying to make Iran a better place for women and for all citizens. 
Good, yes, yes. And then I have one that's equally as important for folks to be aware of, and it's the storyline that Mexico is going to go out in the round of 16 again. Yes. All right. No, I... Just kidding, y'all. Okay, um, (laughs) what Ty said. Okay, Uh, let's close up with with a couple uh, palate cleansers or or just just kind of human human stories. If you're still listening to this pod, thank you for being here. We love you so very much. Your support of this show means the world to us. And it's likely that you'll relate to to these next couple questions. So let's sit back and enjoy. Ty, where were you? At this time, eight years ago, and by that I mean one week before the U.S., the last time the U.S. went to a World Cup. The last U.S. World Cup was Brazil in 2014, and I was living in Brooklyn, New York City, with a young uh, three-year-old and a new baby about to be born, and my uh, wife at the time was pregnant, and it was this beautiful little moment in the development of our family uh, where we were, um, you know, able to come together around this this uh, this event and uh, connect with with friends and family and and be in community. And uh, yeah, it was a really special time. I was working my ass off, building my my web design career. I was working on my my company Cantilever, which has grown tremendously since then. Um, we've been very fortunate and uh, and happy to have success. And um, so, yeah, looking back on that, it's 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 pretty incredible. It it feels like yesterday, yet it was a, a really different world, and I was a really different person, um, experiencing a lot of a lot of new things uh, and and challenges that uh, that I've been able to you know overcome or, or grow past and. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of how I've changed since then. Uh, and I'm um, grateful for the experience of being being a fan of this team and helping me grow and change and build relationships and all of that. You know, it took me a second to figure out where I was at this time, the last time the U.S. went to a World Cup. I don't remember all the details. I remember the games. I don't remember all the details of where I watched those games because I was in an amorphous state at that time in my life. Dude, yeah. 2014, going into the summer of 2014, I had moved out of Detroit with my partner at the time. So we had moved to Detroit eight months prior and then... Things got wild, uh, and it wasn't the right place, and we left. And so when this World Cup showed up, uh, we were in between places, and we were weeks away from finding and signing a lease on an apartment in Baltimore for a year. So at this time, we were living out of bags. Uh, I must have been at, you know, our, our parents' place at that time. A significant amount. I must have been in New York. I probably stayed with you. Um, yeah, probably. I, I, I mean, I remember. I know we watched the Belgium game together, um, which was the game the U.S. went out. I remember walking with you down uh, down um, Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn towards the towards the train station, talking to you about about um, how happy I was for uh, our bond to be deepened by. Um, you know, connecting over this team and 
uh, and, and sharing these kind of experiences even when they're painful. Um, I think we watched that game with Kwame, um, which is amazing to think about. Incredible. Shouts Maybe to the Kwame Kwame's sister, Anna, was there. I know at least one game we watched with them. So, yeah, it, it was this like... It was a really beautiful little moment. It was a beautiful little moment. It makes me think of that apartment that I was in. That was, it was like it was my my first apartment um, ever. You know, I got I got married, left the left our parents' house, and went to this apartment. And it was you know in, in Park Slope, Brooklyn, and it would be it was like a, this launch pad for my career and my life that was like just so important. And uh, it represented so many things in terms of like my getting older, independence, building a family and, you know, being able to to host and have people come come experience this thing that I love uh, with me, have, you know, beloved friends and family around uh, was was really special. And nothing like summer in New York City anyway. And uh, that, that just caps it off. It really does. I, I we're gonna move on because I don't want this to be too like. But let me quickly go, get but to one to year say, later. But one year later, to, okay. Let me just say Can one I... thing before you go. One year later, yeah, okay, okay. Which is that I am currently in between houses, <laughs> looking for a place. Eight years later, and I just back. got my second apartment in New York City. <laughs> eight years later, yeah. Oh so my it's, god, what holy is holy crap? Yeah, I guess this is just something I do. Hopefully, the next time the. <laughs> The U.S. plays in yeah. a World Cup. I have a firmly established sure living homed. situation. Yes, yes. Ridiculous. But right, um, one year later. Nine months after that World Cup, you and me got to talking. And we started right. we started talking about, uh, about soccer and just thinking about w w how much we, we cared about this team and how much you were getting more into the team. And, um, and we got this crazy idea that maybe we should do a show. Maybe we should start a show. And I, I, I'd always been um, obsessed with podcasts. Like before, like when podcasts were super new, I used to download the MP3s and put them on my uh, PSP and listen to them on the way to high school. And um, so I've, I've been I've been in the medium for for a long time. Uh, and I've always been obsessed with sports journalism and always thought that that would be something I would want to do in my life. And so the the combination came together in the form of um this show our our bond our connection um you know your passion for for uh, storytelling for audio for saying for, random shit <laughs> for for your your connection to new york city soccer culture yep and your history playing for in in high school and and later and it, it it's beautiful it's 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 amazing that it came it came together because of that loss to Belgium, that that's that's why we're here because of the the quality of that experience and the feeling that it left in both of us um, to want to be a part of this. And I'm so proud of what we've done, man. It's 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 amazing. I I feel like we've we've participated um, the best we possibly could at trying to build a great soccer culture here in the U.S. that that represents all of us. It's inclusive, but that is demanding and wants to win. Um, and calls out bullshit and uh, and refuses to accept the 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 myths of the past as being being cemented, you know. So the the World Cup is the origin of this show, and to finally get to watch a World Cup game with you by my side and then record this show 
after that World Cup is going to be one of the, the privileges of my life, one of the, the truest <laughs> pleasures of my life. And uh, uh, so thank you for everything that, that you've done to make this show special. Uh, I feel the same way, Ty. I feel the same exact way. Um, I don't want to rush it, but I do want to, I want to squeeze this question in. Um, favorite memories of World Cups past? Anything, popcorn, bring them up. What do you got? The, what's great about these World Cups, like beyond the, the eight year question, thinking about the last time the U.S. was in this, when I think back on those windows of my life, I mean, that the kind of first thing I get is sort of a feeling of what, what I was about at that part of my life. You know, I remember, you know, the, I, the first World Cup I was aware of was 1994. Um, I attended a game with my father, the professor. In Orlando, I saw Mexico against uh, Ireland, and I was—I got heat stroke. So we were going into the stadium, and I started to feel like sick. And I told <laughs> told the professor, and um, he took me to this like uh, emergency uh, trailer thing where they gave me Gatorade and ice pack and stuff. And I thought this was awesome. I was having a great time. And only, and then we came into the game and then, you know, we watched the second half of the game and only later as a father, did I understand how uh, stressful it must have been for, for the professor to like get me all the way there. And then we're going into the match and then, uh, to not actually go watch the match, but to be like, to be like, okay, you know, we got to do this and, uh, and it's cool. And I remember him being calm and I remember him being, you know, caring and supportive and that's. Uh, it's actually, you know, beyond just going to the game, that's like one of the best memories of, uh, of the professor is for me is, is remembering how, um, okay that all felt, you know? And I think that's a really, uh, yeah, uh, I'll give you that. That's a, that's a random, uh, world cup memory. That's a beautiful one. Uh, my, one of my favorite world cup, I, I feel the same way. It's like they each have a flavor, you know, each cycle. One of my favorite World Cup memories is being a young, young child when Italy won oh, the gosh, World yeah. Cup. And yes. our I, I alluded to it earlier in the show, our, our neighborhood pizza spot was down the block. And, um, you know, I didn't assume that they would support the Italian national team, but it turned out that they did. <laughs> <laughs> And it was a very big deal. Shocking. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and that World Cup m- changed my relationship to that pizza place because I started to talk to that guy about soccer and about the fact that I play soccer. And the owner, I guess, or I, I don't know who, some dude at this pizza place. And-, and he introduced me to some other kids in the neighborhood who also played soccer. Um, and my neighborhood became more of a community. Um, and that's one of my favorite things. And I just remember learning to, um, to kind of stretch during some of those games. Cause after each one, I would want to go play in the park <laughs> and the closest thing to playing soccer while you're watching soccer that you can really do is stretching or juggling. And so I have a lot of memories of, of doing that and just, being unable to tear my eyeballs away from the screen, but also itching <laughs> to get outside and, and make my dreams come true. Oh my God. Know? Wow. 
Yeah, that's another thing with, with the World Cup and with the Olympics is that it just makes you want to play. I mean, it, this happens to me all the time. So I'm sure I'm going to be getting out there a couple times over the course of the next month as I um, just soak in all of this, uh, this World Cup-ishness. Um, it's, it's beautiful. I, another random thing that just came to mind is, uh, in 2006, that, that world cup, uh, we were in France for, at least yeah. I was in France. Maybe you were, were you? No, we did it. I, I, I'm we not sure together. we were both there at parts of it. So I'll tell that, that yeah. was a whole thing. We should mention this before we close. It was like, yeah. So we were, we were in we, France together. We were in Paris the night that they won the semi. Yep. And, and that before, was that was a taste, a, a true taste of what a soccer country looks like. I mean, it was it was insane. Bedlam. I remember going bedlam. into the subway and the subway people like on the outside of the subway, like rocking the cars and like getting on top of it and stuff like that. It's just totally nuts. It was, so nuts. It, was it was awesome. And then after that, who. It was Italy that won. Yeah, I feel like you went tournament. to Italy with And Dad. we were in Italy yeah. when they won. Yeah, I was in Duomo. Insane. Insane. You were in the Duomo for that. In, yes. Oh my god. For the final. And then we were in, in, in Milan, England, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah, and then we were in England at oh, some point shit. when they won a game in the quarter in this round of 16 and I remember that being crazy too. Like yes, we yes, like yes. Won. No, I no, they they lost. That was the the game they, they lost, lost to Argentina where Beckham got carded. Yes. And he yeah, was yeah, he yeah. was all over the papers for the shame of how Beckham let the country down. Um yes, we were there for that. Oh my god. Oh my so god. So I guess what those memories memory. of me watching yeah. must have happened a different tournament because that tournament clearly we were on a Euro trip. So I don't know. Well, you know, it all it. it it can all it could all be. I don't know. It's um Wow. It, it it's so fun to think about. So fun to think about. It's so 2000, about. let's see, 98. I remember going to church and, and talking about it with people at church and having a little keychain or at a France 98 keychain. It's got to be around here somewhere. 94, <laughs> I had a, I had a playing card, uh, not, you know, uh, soccer cards that came out. And I had like a big stack of them that I brought to school every day. I remember one of them had, it was four guys on it. And it was definitely Bruce Arena and Tony Miola were involved. Probably Lalas and Pope or something like that. Um, I can still see that. I can still see my living room when I was six years old, and I could see that that card. It's so it's so crazy. That shit is insane. I loved you, Bruce Arena. Ugh. Fucking jerk. All right, all right. Well, next up, we're gonna preview Wales, folks. Uh, we're so grateful that you're with us. This is gonna be really special. <sighs> And if you're this listening is gonna be to special. this, we're going to be talking that. about this. In People, we're going to be talking about this shit the rest of our lives. It's going to be a memory that you're going to have forever. Right. And there, there's so little in life that you can say that about. It's just so special. So I cannot wait. You know, my brother's fine, but to talk to all of you people. <laughs> To be in community with all of these awesome WTP heads out there who have been with us through the Dave Saruman era, through through Kuova, through watching a lot of Josie Altador, so many things. We've watched. We've gone through so much bad soccer to get to this point. 
get People? to this point, and we finally oh God, get so what we deserve. That is minutes. Tim Ream starting. Yeah, World for Cup, the but not that Tim Ream, the good Tim Ream, the recent good Tim, Tim Ream. Ream. Yeah, not that shitty rim young team. Tim Ream. That that Rim team, that vintage Rim. <laughs> uh, right. He should just grow a mustache and change his name, and then he'd be great. <laughs> like Pep, you just see Pep Guardiola. Pep Guardiola told him. Um, if you were 24 instead of 34, you'd be playing for me. Wow. Cool, right? To which Tim Ream responded, well, too bad. I'm 35. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, what Tim. Um, I love a mullet, you know. Thank you to Aaron Long for yep. making it happen. Longest Walker mullet Zimmerman award. at times as well, I feel like, but maybe not. Maybe that was racist that I just said that. I'm not sure. But I'm fine with a mullet. I appreciate a good mullet. Um, a man bun? Why not? Tim Ream, come on in, buddy. When you let that hair down in those in those training warm-ups and, and I see you on the Behind the Crest videos, I, I have no idea who you are uh, from behind. Because you're usually wearing it up in a man bun. And lastly... Signature uh, bun! <laughs> <laughs> That's signature bond. <laughs> and lastly, uh, I love a good sharp fade. And we know that there are tons of good examples of those around this beautiful, beautiful squad. But I don't love any of that, any of those fantastic haircuts that are an option as much as I absolutely love these mats. Let's fucking go, boys. Let's fucking go, Make boys. history. Next up, folks, we are in the tunnel previewing whales. See you next time. Oh, I can't. It's We the Peeps. It's We the Peeps. Welcome to We the Peeps. Are you ready for We the Peeps? Holy moly, it's we the peeps.